0: It is Canucks Central. This hour brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. It is Satyar Shah with Jamie Dodd. Don Taylor is going to join us in a few minutes, and we'll get into everything to do with the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs. And yeah, we'll throw him a question too about uh, the soccer debacle. Yeah, Uh, here. Uh going on with Canada soccer so uh, Yikes. yeah 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 uh, we'll leave that for a bit later but yeah talk about incompetence <laughs> but we'll leave it at that for now um, as far uh, as so, some breaking news actually just coming Ooh, across
1: okay some pretty interesting from an NHL perspective this I did not see this one coming the Boston Bruins have relieved Bruce Cassidy of coaching duties oh wow just announced just came down uh, announced by Boston Bruins GM Don Sweeney so another Coaching vacancy and another interesting head coach candidate is on the market in the NHL. Yes, yeah,
0: certainly Bruce Cassidy, a guy who's had a lot of success with the Boston Bruins. Um, in the next segment, we'll, we'll maybe dig into the Bruins a little bit yeah. or some or throughout the week here. I mean, what's going to happen with that team now? Are they going to rebuild? What happens with Bergeron? Cassidy is now gone what's going to happen with that that's a, that's a fascinating decision too. Well, they also a ha- really interesting decision. Well, they have so many commitments long term as well. I mean, they just they just signed Lindholm in mm-hmm. the trading forum. They have McAvoy's massive contract. I, and you you also have to think immediately. I mean, what does this say
1: if anything about Patrice Bergeron's future with the team? That's a that's a fascinating bit of news.
0: Very from very the Bruins. very interesting. So let's bring in uh, Don Taylor into the discussion from Donnie and Dolly the team with Rick Dollywall on Check TV. You can always check it out Monday to Friday on check TV from 10 to noon and he joins us now and don I mean we just got the news ourselves but yeah Bruce Cassidy out as head coach of the Boston Bruins it really looks like that Bruins team is in for quite the shakeup especially if Bergeron retires hey
2: yeah you know it's 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 uh, just funny i i i i I'm trying to think of a a coach who um because the Bruins personnel wise and look look even back at the 2015 draft and the 3 choices they've had in a row. They've they've had to have a few hiccups, they've lost some people, and I the general consensus is that he was a a very, very good NHL coach. And it just and you you look at the success that they've had year after year. I know that they weren't a you know Stanley Cup contender when all was said and done this year. But that 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 was just a huge surprise. I um I'm shocked.
1: It does feel like the kind of decision where, you know, some other team is going to snap Bruce Cassidy up and he's going to have a bunch of success there. And then we're all going to be kind of looking around saying, what on earth was Boston thinking, letting this guy go in a couple of years?
2: Yeah. I I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like I honestly, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a bad word that I heard about him. Like, I'm sure there's some opponents that didn't love the guy, yeah. but they had respect for him, but I just don't from, from a, you know from uh, as far as being competent that point of view i don't remember anybody saying anything anything really uh, bad about, about him i mean i think he ended up winning um i want to say like seven eight rounds in the last few years and that's that's actually he became a head coach in i want to say 2016 and he you know multiple playoff series victories one of real respected head coaches, it's just a real a real shock.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, won the Jack Adams Award in 2020 as well. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about a very well-regarded head coach. I mean, the worst thing you can say about Cassidy, I guess, was his tenure with the Capitals as head coach back in the early 2000s, which mm-hmm. wouldn't, didn't go well, and he had to wait. Was it 15 years, 16 years for him to get the next chance as a head coach? I mean, that's yeah. the only negative you can say. But, I mean, overall, though, is this the end of an era for the Bruins, especially if Bergeron retires? We finally see the demise of the Bruins here?
2: Well, Krejci's gone. If if Bergeron goes and, you know, as they chip away more and more at what happened in 2011, you'd you'd have to think so. So Marchand's there. Um, Still, you know, people forget David Pasternak hadn't joined uh, the Bruins in in 2011, far from it. He was a 2014 draft pick. So uh, distant memories. I mean, for us, it just seems like it happened yesterday, all that pain. But it's it's been a while, and and yeah, I would think it would be the end of the era. Still a real competitive team. I'm sure they'll still be fine, if you know they lose Cassidy and, and maybe Bergeron. But it's just a, again, it's just a stunning turn of events. I don't know what the plan is there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was already going to be a really fascinating off season for the Bruins with all the injuries and Bergeron, and now you throw this in the mix, and it's uh, they're definitely one of the more interesting teams going into the summer, but. As we know, Don here the the Canucks also expected to have a very very interesting potentially a very active off season and uh, you and Rick Dollywell chatted with Elliot Friedman earlier today. Sat and I played a couple of the clips earlier in the show oh, no. and you know I want yeah. to start specifically <laughs> <laughs> with um, with the, the the conversation you had and the question you had with, to him about JT Miller and. How surprising is it that we haven't really heard about any contract uh, discussions happening between the two sides and Friedman kind of saying, well, maybe there has been, but they've just kept it tight. What do you make of where things stand right now between JT Miller and the Canucks? Uh,
2: I'm like a lot of people. uh, I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, you know, Rick's been uh, led to believe that there haven't been many uh, discussions. And I, I think, you know, the more you talk to people and, and the more you sort of get the little tidbits, is that there's that patience. And it's no surprise with what we uh, what we know about this group so far, the, the new group, that patience will be the way to go with with JT Miller a, a, as well. Um, um, Harm Dial had a really good tweet yesterday. No, you know, it was just informational. Um, it was an opinion, but just how much Rick Nash gained uh, the New York Rangers back in 2018, and he he, he had nowhere near the season that JT Miller had, did last season, mm-hmm. Uh and that was at the trade deadline. So it was a, he was a rental, and you know a, a, as a result they ended up getting as, as the you know as the months and years went by like they got Ryan Strom out of it, Lindgren uh, out of it, they got Keandre Miller out of that deal, and that was for Rick Nash who was at the end. And uh, you know maybe that maybe the Canucks look at something like that and say let's wait till the deadline and see what we can get for this this valuable player and and, and maybe keep him around. But no, knowing that you know if, if worse comes to worst they could probably still get something decent for him at, at the deadline. I was really stunned to be reminded of of what the of what the Rangers got for Rick Nash.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it is the most interesting thing to me is going to be what type of offer the Canucks actually make to JT Miller, you know, like are they making him the, the, the type of offer that just saves face or is it going to be a competitive offer? That's going to be interesting to me because a competitive offer is going to be big. Like that in total money number has to be in the 50 million range. If you want to be yeah. competitive.
2: Yeah. And then we know, what do we, what do we heard from D one from, you know, Jim Mutherford when he got hired, Patrick Calvin, when he got hired, we need cap space. We need cap space. That wouldn't fit in with that. It has to be a big, big number, and I just, uh, I, I'm just not so sure it, it fits. And um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, they that's their, that's their focus is dealing him. And if, and the, if he can come at some sort of discount, which never happens these days, sure. But I just get the feeling more and more that that they've got this valuable, valuable asset. They want to get cap space. That seems like a pretty good way to do it. To, to unload him and I don't mean that disrespectfully disrespectfully, but you know, trade him and get some assets, build for the future and clear up cap space. Those are the messages that I've been hearing more and more from from them.
1: And yeah. everybody else too. And, and as you said, Don, you know, the they've they've both, Patrick Alveen and Jim Rutherford have talked about the need to create cap space. They've also talked about, you know, needing to add more young players and, and get faster and get younger and all of those sorts of things and You know, it would be one thing if JT Miller was the only significant player that that needed a raise in the near term, but when you start to look at Miller, Brock Besser, who needs a new deal, Bo Horvat, you know, all really good players, you can make a case for keeping all of them individually, but if you do keep all of them and give them all new contracts... You know, how are you going to do all those things that Patrick Alvien and Jim Rutherford have talked about, like creating the cap space? It just seems like even if you really like all three of those guys, one might be a casualty of, of the need to open up more cap flexibility.
2: It, it, it doesn't make a, any any sense from what they if you put together, you know, what they've been saying with the numbers that you would expect for those three players. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We had Jim Rutherford on uh, a week or two ago. And again, reading between the lines and almost. You know, uh, trying to read into um, how he how he sounded when he talked about uh, the players. Uh, It seems like with Brock Besser, they're open. This is this is what I read into it, that that they were open to the one year qualifying offer and that that was a possibility. And then go from there. I I thought he spoke glowingly about Bo, Bo Horvath and that he was really impressed with him. And with J.T. Miller, obviously, he said everything positive. But I didn't think it was a, it was the endorsement that I heard from Bo Horvat. My if I had to guess right now, and you know I, I hear things from Rick and other people, but I would guess they would keep Horvat and Besser, and then they're gonna, they're going to try to try to get something for JT Miller because that's a big big ticket, and I don't think it's again I'm repeating myself in line with what they've been saying.
0: Well, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what decision they ultimately make here and what the return is if a trade does happen. So the next month and a half is going to be super, super interesting. And, uh, yeah, we'll we'll have a lot to talk about here, Donnie. Now, one of the other things that uh, Elliot also got into with you guys was the potential of trying to move up in the draft. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess that's possible, but we we kind of talked about it, Jamie and myself, that does it make sense to trade JT to move up? Does it make sense to move one of those guys? And if you're talking about guys like Garland and Besser, I mean— how much do those guys move the needle, or do the Canucks even have the types of pieces to move up in the draft, or do you want to make that trade?
2: Yeah, um, and the p- player we talked about today, uh, we had fun with those. It was Yuri Slavkovsky, big um, yeah, uh, 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 Slovakian winger, and you know they apparently reportedly asked him that you know could he move to center? So of course that sent off, set off alarm bells in Vancouver, you know, does that mean that they're trading Miller and Miller has been linked to the devils who have that second overall pick? He, in a lot of mock drafts is slotted at number at number two. It just, it just seemed to, uh, it it seemed to work. Um, you know, but are the devils a now team that would want JT Miller? And I'm not even sure their cap space. I haven't got it in front of me right now, but you know, if, if JT Miller doesn't make sense for the Canucks, why would he make sense for the New Jersey devils? I know they've got a really, you know, a, a, a young core that is, uh, seems seems to be um, capable of doing something special, but I, I just don't see him as a fit with the Devils if he's not a fit for the Canucks. So, uh, but hey, look, stranger things stranger things have happened. I, I get all that, uh, but the Canucks did interview the kid Uri, so. Maybe, maybe there's something to it. It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense when you put the puzzle pieces together
1: well at the very li- uh, at the very least, it was very nice of uh, Friedman to connect the dots and and bring up the prospect of the Canucks moving up because it gave us all something to
2: talk about right yeah no <laughs> I, you, you saw I thought well first of all, you know Canada's soccer took care of us yes program. that's true but so there there was that but uh, when I saw that, I also thought okay good we we we've got something to talk about. we were so uh, focused on the uh, soccer cannon. I don't think yeah. we got to uh, Slifkovsky until the second or third segment today. But uh, no, it was, uh, no shortage of news on this Monday. But uh, yeah, that was a gold line.
1: And, you know, looking uh, at the, the two playoff series that are still happening, of course, Edmonton will try to keep their uh, season alive against the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche being down 3 nothing in the series going in to tonight's game. How do you like the Oilers' chances, or do you think this is going to be it and it's going to be a sweep for Colorado?
2: Oh, uh, well I was I was going to say uh, Kane, Kane's out, Yamamoto's out, but uh um you know, their Cadbury's a pretty important guy for Colorado. Mm-hmm. He he's going to be out a, as well. Um I, I just have to think somewhere along the line. He's been, you know, he's got four points in three games, but I would say Connor McDavid has to really break out. Everybody broke out in game 1. Everybody's roster did. Everybody on the roster on both sides. But um I would think he would have to have one breakout game. I'm I, I, I'll I'll go on record as saying they'll they'll prevent the sweep but then end up losing in five. Colorado just looks so good and that defensive pairing of Daves and McCarr just seems to be a. Uh... Are a real force and really doing a great job of frustrating a, some pretty talented hockey players.
0: Well, you know, Donnie, I, I got to say, I've been really impressed this series specifically with how well Colorado has defended. Cause I did think they were kind of weak at defending, especially against the blues. And you kind of showed some weakness earlier in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. showing no weakness right now. And the way they're maturing as the playoffs go on, it it is pretty impressive to watch. Like I actually thought their defending might be a bit of an Achilles heel for them, but watching what they're doing is Edmonton. I mean, it's really tough. I mean, we don't often see teams evolve this way unless they're a true contender, and that's what Colorado is showing right now.
2: Yeah, I think they're very well coached. And, and, yeah. and I, it's funny, like we talked about this today, but it, when, when you're coaching, and I reference this a lot and people roll their eyes, and that, that's fine. But, you know, when you're coaching minor hockey, you often have this disparity in talent where you've got, especially at the really young ages, you've got the one stud who can just go through everybody and you always tell your team, you know, get on him right away in his own zone. Don't let him pick up speed. And the Avalanche, they do such a good job of that with McDavid. They're just not letting him get good. He, he can't get going. He can't use his speed because, first of all, they're a fast team and they're really smart against them. They, they stop him right away. They don't wait for him to get into their zone. Why would you do that? Get on him right away. And it just it's just working so well, and you can tell he's – He's frustrated. Having said that, I still he is Connor McDavid. I still think he's going to break out for at least one game, and then maybe again wrap it up in, in five. But just uh, yeah, really good job defensively by Colorado.
1: Well, and just to your point about how they've defended McDavid, you know that it's been so impressive to see how they use Kale McCarr because you know to your point one, they they often don't let Connor McDavid get up to his top speed, but when he yep. does. You know they might have the only defenseman in the league that can credibly stay yeah. with, stay in front and skate with Connor McDavid. Yeah. I think Kale McGarr has reminded a lot of people that you know he's not just a guy who puts up numbers from the blue line; he can do the job defensively when he needs to as well.
2: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a you know a, a defenseman who can skate really well. And you know it's like when he makes that pivot, when he makes that turn, and, and you know you know instead of uh, staying skating backwards, I mean he he stays right with them. Whereas most defensemen can't can't do that. He's just He's just so good. It's not, you know, Like I say, nothing wrong, nothing wrong with having a defenseman that can uh, skate like that. And you know, may or may not be, but he's certainly a discussion. McDavid's equal. Uh,
0: before we get to uh, the Canada soccer stuff, uh, final thought on hockey slash the Canucks. What did you make of the name Mike Yo being mentioned by Elliot Friedman as a potential assistant coach candidate for the Canucks?
2: Well, my first thought was the guy's bounced around a ton, but mm-hmm. Elliot made the point, and you know, what does that say about him? But Elliot made the point that you know all coaches do. Look at look at Bruce Boudreau, and everybody in Vancouver seems to be in love with him. So that 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 that's very true. I wonder if Mike Yo is one of these guys. Obviously, he's caught the attention with his systems and the way he runs practices of a lot of people who know a whole lot about hockey. Um, I, I just wonder if he might be one of these guys who's better as an assistant than a head coach. And uh, if if that's the case, then uh, I guess uh, more more power to him. Uh, but um, I just wonder if he's somebody who works better in, in a secondary role, and maybe maybe that's what the Canucks are thinking. But obviously, a lot of people, not just the Canucks, are pretty impressed with the guy.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So we'll see ultimately what happens. Now, uh, before we let you go, as far as debacles go and embarrassment goes, I mean, where I mean, where do we begin with this whole Canada soccer thing? I heard you and and Rick today, and I, and I liked. Uh, the passion you showed about it as well. You're bang on about how embarrassing this is and, and how they're just ruining all the goodwill they've built up. I mean, I just can't believe that with the high that we had with Canada Soccer, that we're actually dealing with this situation right now and a game had to be canceled and fans had to be left sure. stranded yeah. the way they were last night. I mean these poor fa- I mean I saw fans taking ferries coming here people booked yeah. hotels <laughs> people were waiting outside had no idea people that don't go on social media had no idea walked up and like why can't I get into the building I mean I I I'm- I can't believe this happened
2: in the year 2022 Yeah yeah and and like uh, my, our thought was uh today and I can't speak for Rick but is you know I think you you know given the timeline and just the fact that you had all these fans who already been burned once with Iran, uh, you know like the, you had to know that there were, there were people traveling. I say you play that good game in good faith, and then and then the Curacao game comes in question, and that's where the leverage and the pressure would come in. But you, you got to play that game against Panama because you've got you know. We had a lot of text today into our inbox, and I'm sure you do too, where a lot of people, we had at least five or six, and that's a lot, you know, when when you're talking about one thought, where people said, you know what, I've been turned on by soccer. I'm not normally a soccer fan, but I was going to that game, and they turned me off, back to hockey I go. And and like I say, more than one person said that. And they had to, both sides had to be thinking that that, I, I don't know how you wouldn't know that was a possibility. And if, the, if the, those are, you know, what it's like, Sat. That those are the people mm-hmm. who text in. So yep. you know, you can multiply that several times over. <laughs> yes. They, 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 you know, I just, I just can't believe they couldn't come together, and and at the very least, say, okay, we've got a problem here, but we have to play this match. We, you know, we have to play this match. People have made trips. We're, we're gonna. It's a slap in the face to our customers, the and and to the people who may be fringe fans who may become real loyal fans of soccer. And help our program, and and instead they did what they did, and uh, it was. And and look, I I think both sides are to blame, at least for that match. And you you should have played that match in good faith. And then the pressure comes with that game against Curacao on Thursday, and it just seems such. It just seems to fall in the category of common sense. And it's, that's really frustrating for a lot of people, especially people. I mean, I don't know if you saw some of the news reports and stuff on Twitter last night, but yeah. people are bringing their kids yeah. faces painted red and white, the signs, Jonathan David. And, uh, it's just, it just, you know, Alfonso Davies signs and everything. People were ready to cheer. They had their jerseys on and my God, what a, what a, what a just a complete fiasco and you know, we can sit and talk about the CFL situation and its labor dispute, but we kind of knew what was going on there. This came out of nowhere. Nobody really knew about it. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, we're not playing that game. After the Iranian fiasco, like yeah. come on. Like that was no read on what the public uh, was was thinking at all. It was it was really disappointing. Well, and, and I'm to just, make I'm, I'm disappointed for soccer because I I care a lot about it. And I go back to the, you know, I I was started in this market when the Whitecaps were still around in the NASL. I loved what they did with the 86ers and that national team in 86 and, and it just it, it, it took a dip and just, just when it's getting really good, something like this happens. It's just sad.
1: Well, and to make it even worse, I think, Donnie, you know, the, the press conference from the Soccer Canada officials where they just yeah. seemed anything but professional, anything but in control. And it, it was just kind of a painful reminder that the the talent on the team now might be completely different than uh, than it's ever been in our history. But the behind the scenes bureaucracy and the mess that can be is still pretty much the same as we've been used to.
2: Yeah. It just seemed like, uh, I just, I, I wish I could have heard, you know, we want to get this. done. We feel really bad about this. You know, it, it, they messed it up by not playing the game. But after that, like, just say something like this is really bad and we know it looks bad and we're going to work hard. to. And it, I didn't hear any of that. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was really disappointing. Again, I think it, it, it just it came down to common sense, and they I, I thought everybody came across really poorly.
0: Now, listen, I'm not going to criticize somebody for, for wearing cufflinks, because I, I do wear cufflinks. <laughs> but anytime somebody has a gaudy, obnoxious, massive cufflinks like Nick <laughs> Bontis had, I mean, to me, that's that's never a good sign. You know what I mean, Donnie? I mean, I, I like subtle little cufflinks, but those big, gaudy ones, you're trying to say something, you know?
2: Yeah, you are. You're trying to make up for something, maybe. Yeah. We don't want
0: to get into that.
2: <laughs> but Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't think about it, but that that's a good one. Hufflink gate, we'll call it.
0: Yeah, we'll call it that. Uh, hey, you Don-
2: with what was coming out of his mouth.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, don't get me started on that. Uh, Donnie, always fun. We always love having you on the show. We appreciate your time, and we look forward to watching and hearing you alongside Rick Dalwa. Donnie and Dolly, the team on Check TV. Thanks, guys. Lots of fun. You got it. Uh, that is Don Taylor. Always fun catching I- up with him. I'm gonna keep a close eye on your cufflinks size yeah. <laughs> when you're on the panel of Murph next year,
1: like, sat. Make, hey. make sure those those cufflinks don't get too big. I think it, I like cufflinks. I
0: think they to be a very nice accessory. They can be if you wear French cuffs in a suit. Like I'm, I'm a fan of them. But Nick Bontus, those were massive. I mean, it looked like gemstones. I thought he was trying to be Thanos. I mean, put those on a put those on your hand, not on your cufflinks. Yeah. That guy, for somebody
1: nobody had ever heard of until yesterday, like went from no one knows who you are to everyone hates you
0: really, really quickly. Wow. <laughs> it, it went from zero to 100 in the yeah. worst way possible. Yeah.
1: Nobody knows who you are, like, oh, but now they guy? do. It. Yeah. Oh, wow. Don't care for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, real life ratio. I mean, that's what <laughs> yeah. happened. You got ratioed in yeah, a big way. Uh, a, a lot of texts and thoughts coming in as well. And, and listen, um, the. My my entire take on it, and I don't want to spend too much time on it here. I mean, um, all I'll say is the entire thing has been managed so poorly. Yes. And you've had time to figure this stuff out. For it to get to this breaking point is an absolute embarrassment. And just the way it seems that the powers that be at Soccer Canada were kind of caught
1: off guard and blindsided. Like, it's one thing for this issue to come up. We've seen this happen with, you know, soccer associations and the players in other in other countries. It can happen. But you can't be completely taken, taken off guard by it. You have to find a way to get the solution done proactively.
0: Well, you saw the women's team sent out a statement as well. And it's not like this stuff hasn't been spoken about before. Like, these are issues that both the women's and the men's team has been grappling with Canada soccer mm-hmm. for a while and obviously came to a head in a very, very embarrassing way. And, the, and like I said, the thing that I hated the most was all the fans yeah, that showed that's up. Yeah, really tough. I felt bad, like especially the kids. I mean... You remember being a kid. You have kids, Jamie. You yeah. watch it every single day. I mean, when you, get, when you build up something, you get hyped up for something, and you look forward to it. And especially if you take a trip, for, especially the people that came from the island yeah. or came from you know the interior or had to travel quite a distance. Heck, even if you came from like Langley or Abbotsford, it's not easy. It costs a lot of money. I saw people that spend like hundreds of bucks traveling to come to Vancouver, and it's like, oh yeah, now you can't go to the game. I mean, for it to happen on that day, that's what sucks to me. It's, it's like Watching those, you know. I think those fans should be given something by Canada soccer, like whether it's, and I'm not talking about like money or anything, but like, can you promise that all the fans that bought things can get like a Canada Jersey for like for 80% off? Sure. Can you get something like a massive discount? Give them something like do something for the fans who paid a ticket. And had to spend their own money last night? Give them something. Don't just be like, hey, sorry, we'll do better next time.
1: It's just so disappointing because this should be such a celebration, a moment of celebration, and also a moment to really grow the game. And instead, this is what we're talking about. Like People were so excited to celebrate this team and start getting hyped for the World Cup in November, and instead it's... Oh, yeah, Canada soccer is still Canada soccer.
0: No, and like Donnie said, I mean, I saw it on social media when I tweeted about it last night. I saw a lot, a lot of people say, uh, just like Donnie mentioned, hey, I wasn't really into soccer. I finally decided to get tickets and get into it. Never again. Yeah. And that's a killer for, as far as momentum goes. All right. Well, as far as like, Canucks and hockey goes, well, we have some more topics to get into, especially on the other side. Mike, yo, does he make sense as an assistant coach for the Vancouver Canucks? Bruce Cassidy is out. Are the Bruins done? Are they tanking for Bedard? What is next? We'll continue the conversation on Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. To Canuck Central, brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. It is Satin Jamie here on Canuck Central. Uh, Well, we got into quite a bit already today. In the first Mm -hmm. hour, we delved into a lot of stuff that Elliot Friedman had to say on Donnie and Dolly's show, especially on J.T. Miller and the contract negotiations around him and potentially trading up in the draft. And if you missed that, make sure to check out hour one of the podcast. We also had a good discussion with Brian Engblom covering the Tampa Bay Lightning, former NHL defenseman. And continuing the discussion around the Vancouver Canucks, and we talked to Donnie about it a little bit, and that is Mike Yo, who Elliot mentioned as a potential candidate. And before we delve into it, for the full context, here's what Elliot Friedman had to say when it comes to what the Canucks might be looking to do with their coaching staff now that Bruce Boudreaux is coming back and they've made some changes to the staff or they're looking to make some additions. And here's what Elliot Friedman had to say about that
2: well I, I just think that uh, if if they're going to be looking for assistant coaches and i I've seen different kinds of reporting uh, out there as to what they may or may not be considering, but one name I think that could potentially be a possibility out there if they're looking to add to their benches I, i've heard maybe possibly of mike yo 's name out there um, you know yo obviously finished the season as the head coach in uh, Philadelphia. Uh, in an interim role, he's been a lot he's, he's coached in the league before. Minnesota He's been an assistant for a long time. he's a, He's a pretty good coach. And uh, uh, I've heard that if Vancouver considers adding to the bench that he could potentially be a name out there for them. So we'll see.
0: So Mike Yo, a name floated by Elliot Friedman as a potential candidate uh, to join the coaching staff. Well, we'll get into you know, whether Mike Yo makes sense as a candidate. Um, his acumen and all that sort of stuff. But number one, as far as who they add to the coaching staff, I do think it, it's going to be one of those things where it's not just management's call. Like it's not not just you know just because Mike Yo yeah. has familiarity with Patrick Alvin and Rutherford because they were in the same organization, of course, when Yo was with the Penguins. At least Alvin was in the Alvin same Alvin, in yep. not Rutherford. Alvine was in the same organization as Yo when Yo was with the Penguins organization. So there is some familiarity. But I imagine that if they're bringing on another full-time assistant, it would also be someone that Bruce Boudreau would want. So there would have to be some alignment on that candidate.
1: Yeah, well, Boudreau doesn't really have like one of his guys on yeah. the bench right now, right? It's mm-hmm.
0: you know Brad Shaw was already
1: here uh, when he came in. Scott Walker came in with Boudreau, but now he's no longer with the organization. So it would make sense for... You know, Boudreau to have kind of somebody that he's very comfortable with, that he has a good working relationship with, or at least even if they haven't worked together, that, that he knows and he's excited to work with for sure.
0: Yeah. And so I do think that's going to play a big part into this. So if whoever does get hired, I don't think it's just going to be a management call. So for the notion of, hey, you bring Mike Yeo maybe he can be the next head coach if things don't go right with Boudreaux or he's somebody there that management's happy with or whatever. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case. I think it's very much about who they bring in as somebody that makes sense, management sees value in, and of course, Bruce Boudreaux sees value in and leaning on because you kind of want to have at least someone on the coaching staff that you delegate a lot of stuff to. And hey, maybe the relationship with, with Boudreaux and Brad Shaw evolved so much that that's going to be the guy. But one of the things that Boudreaux himself mentioned, and just talking about Scott Walker, said, Hey, I'm so focused on the game. I just sometimes send Scott to go talk to a guy about something. Hey, you send that message. You do that. And there's always like 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 the consigliere or like, yes. you know, yeah. you know, your right hand man or whatever. Something along those lines, right? And I wonder if if Yo's Yo's not going to be the only name we hear, let's just put, let me just put it yeah. that way. I've you know I wondered about Scott Stevens in the past. I'm not sure where his heads at about what he wants to do because he stepped away for family reasons in the past. That's somebody that Boudreaux has been familiar with, but I wouldn't be surprised that over the next couple of weeks we hear more names as well for potential candidates.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I don't think you know. Obviously, Freeman's not saying Mike Yo imminent to Vancouver. Yes. It's just a name. That is out there. And, you know, it was interesting because a lot of the reaction I saw on social media when Mike Yo's name was floated was, oh, what are you talking about? Why on earth would they hire this guy? And, you know, I I, obviously he had uh, he's had a couple of stints as an NHL head coach and it hasn't worked out. He went back to the assistant role. But I think the thing that really hurts Yo's perception with people is the fact that he was the coach that got let go from the Blues. And then they went on the run to win the Stanley Cup, right? So well, it's kind of yes. a similar thing to the Travis Green effect here, where a lot of people like Travis Green, but then he's replaced, and they go on this run, and you kind of think, oh, well, okay, what was going on there? But with Mike Yo, you look at his tenure before that, when he was the head coach in Minnesota, actually before Bruce Boudreaux was the coach in Minnesota, and you know he had some good years, like won a couple playoff rounds there. It's not as if he was an absolute disaster as a head coach in the NHL. And if you, I just generally think that. Look, you're not. Maybe he's not cut out to be a, a high level head coach in the NHL, but he obviously has something that he can offer teams, and in an assistant role, it could make a lot of
0: sense. Well, and that's where it comes down ultimately, because I I see the same thing. I find it always really funny when people get mad. This guy sucked at his job. Why you're bringing yeah. him in? Bringing him in? It's like, well, you're not bringing that person in to be the head coach. You're bringing that person in to offer expertise on an area of strength. So. I love the examples of football all the time because you see this all the time where a guy's a, a head coach and he's a disaster. Like, for instance, uh, Andy Pettin was a head coach of the Cleveland <laughs> Browns. It didn't go well, but he's been the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. That's been fantastic. You know, and people consider him a really good defensive coordinator and, and those types of things, yeah. right? And my favorite example, and, and I think uh, Josh Elliott Wolf, being a Vikings fan may appreciate this, but Mike Tice, the one-time head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, not a great head coach. But you know what he was great at? Coaching tight ends great tight ends coach so it's like yeah you don't want him to be a head coach but if you bring him into your organization he's coaching your tight ends hey you got a great guy for the job
1: yeah wade phillips is a guy he's not in the game anymore but a guy you know wasn't necessarily the best head coach but one of the best defensive coordinators of all time right so if he was in that role he was an incredible asset To your organization. And I'm not saying Mike Yo is on that level or anything, but just because it hasn't worked out for him as a head coach doesn't mean he can't add a lot of things as an assistant coach. They're very different jobs, right? And you know, sometimes a successful assistant can't make that jump to head coach,
0: but they can still be a really effective assistant. Yeah, my question would be what can Mike Yo provide that the Canucks are not already getting from their coaching staff? And that's gonna be the question. And if he can provide something tangible, obviously then even if he's failed as a head coach in the past, it doesn't mean he can't be helpful as an assistant coach. Now, uh, the assistant coaching search for the Vancouver Canucks is ongoing. However, it's a minor little thing to get ironed out. A lot of teams, well, they have head coaching searches ongoing. And now another team was added to the fold in the Boston Bruins with Bruce Cassidy not coming back to coach the team the Bruins announced today. We talked about it a little bit just before uh, we got Donnie on and we talked about it with him a little bit. As far as the Bruins are concerned, I see people mentioning this a lot. They're tanking for Bedard, especially if Bergeron retires because, I mean, McAvoy surgery, yeah. Reslick surgery, I mean, Marchand surgery. surgery. I mean, player after player is out long term. What type of offseason do you think this team is going to have? Because that's going to tell us if they're tanking for Bedard or if they're actually trying to keep this thing going. It's going to be really fascinating. Now, this text did come in along
1: those lines from Tony, who said uh, the Bruins are doing everything they can to weaken their team in a bid to get Connor Bedard because they have so many player injuries. Bergeron might retire. Uh, maybe they figure Cassidy might be good enough to keep them in the mix, so he needs to go. I don't... Man, if you're firing a really good coach to tank for a player, to me, that's just an incredibly short-sighted decision, right? Because yeah. if if... There's no coach in the world who's so good that they're going to take a horrible roster and put them into contention, right? Like Bruce Cassidy's a really good coach, but he's not going to do that. I don't think that's what's behind this move. I, you know, uh, the, the the Bruins, Don Sweeney said basically we just decided we needed to go in a different direction. And Don
0: Sweeney at the end of year press conference, I've seen people mention it, did kind of did hint that there had to be a decision to come. And we did discuss this a while back that, hey, there's a decision to come on Cassidy. I guess we just kind of assumed they would figure it out.
1: Yeah, that's certainly how it looked, especially when it kind of lingered on, right? Like, they didn't make the decision that week. It's kind of coming out of left field now in in early June here. And I I still, you know, yes, with the injuries to Marshawn and McAvoy and some other key players, but it's not as if those guys are out all year, right? Like, you're going to get those players back. Now, maybe it takes them a little while to get up to speed. I'm still just not sure that they're going to be able to really get into that bottom two or three conversation. like. Yeah. Arizona is going to be terrible again. Yeah. Arizona is going to be absolutely awful. Are you realistically going to be worse than Arizona or have a chance to be worse than Arizona this year?
0: Well, you don't have to be worse than Arizona, though, because there's a lottery at the end of the day, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, the worse you are, the better your odds. I understand. Like, you want, if you're tanking, you want to be the worst team, but it's essentially giving yourself a chance at the lottery. Yeah. Do you think even,
1: okay, if if Bergeron doesn't come back and we know all the injuries they have,
0: Are they a bottom five team,
1: though? I'm not sure that they are,
0: necessarily. Well, I mean, that's why I think it's going to be really dependent on what they do this offseason. Are they going to go out and trade Jake DeBrusque for anything? Yeah. And, you know, they'll try to trade, you know, somebody else on the back end for just about anything, for instance. If they do something like that, then it signals that they're essentially tearing it down. But even if they go into next season with a healthy Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle, uh... Jake DeBruss, they still have Nick Felino on the contract. David Pasternak, they still have. Him. They have him. They have Craig Smith, who was decent this season. I mean, even guys like Eric Halla, they have. They have a little bit of depth on the back end. Whenever McAvoy comes back, they have him. They have Lindholm. They have Brandon Carlo. They have Matt Grizzlick when he comes back from injury. That top four is not bad. And even Swayman is coming back. And Linus Carl- Allmark was okay. I don't know if they're bad enough. That's the thing. They're not. Unless they start trading guys, they're not bad enough. Yeah, you have to make some really, really significant
1: moves. To be that bad, and the other interesting thing is, uh, this is David Posternock's Last year on his deal, he's going to be UFA after this year, right? So, you know, he's he. If if Bergeron retires, you're going to be really leaning on Posternock to be kind of the next best player on the Boston Bruins, or at least best forward along with Charlie McAvoy. Do you want to tank? Do you want to actively tear your team down in a year where he's going to be a UFA and you're trying to get him locked up?
0: long-term like that's a very very dangerous game to play yeah it is and I just don't know if that team is bad enough yeah that's even even with that even with that I mean if they want to be that bad they essentially have to trade David Pasternak
1: I also don't know if they can get much better though like they don't have a crazy prospect pool and they already traded their 2023 and
0: 2024 second round picks. So I, I don't know if the room to get better is there as well. What do you do with Pasternak? I've said I would keep him. What would you guys do? I would keep him.
1: He's a great player,
0: right? He's, He's only, only 26. He's young. If you
1: can get him to sign him to that eight-year deal, right, take him in, into just his mid-30s and you still get tons of good years. Like I, I just don't know if it's in the bo- the nature of the Boston Bruins organization to tank. Right? Like they have Charlie McAvoy. They they're probably gonna re-sign David Posternak. I'm sure they look at that and say, Hey, we've got two building blocks right there. Let's reload and keep it going. Yeah, I think he's young enough that you can keep him, but that being
0: said, what if you get into the season, you're doing pretty bad, you want to do yeah. worse because you want to get Bedard, you can get a pretty solid haul for Pasternak out of the deadline. You can. You can get a lot for him, but I mean, I just I just don't know. I just don't see see it being one of those I think we want to see the demise of them. And I think they'll miss the playoffs. It's not a playoff team. But even they even have like Fabian Lysell. And you talk to guys like Bill Williams. He's like, this guy's incredible. Like, he's he's so good. He's like, you know, one of the most best skaters he's ever seen. If he steps in and plays for them next year and brings them something. And the thing
1: is, you know, they had 107 points this year, right? Like, they were a really good team this year. So even if you decline by 30, like 30 points, that's a huge drop off. You're still at 77 points. That's like bottom 10, but it's yep. not bottom five. You're, yeah. You still only have a sliver of a chance to really get into that lot, like high lottery bottom five mix. You have to drop like 40, 45 points from you your total this year. You only jump up, what, five spots now? Ten, I think. Ten but, spots. So, yeah, so like, sorry, you can always it, jump up ten but spots. But even if so you're yeah.
0: like tenth, your odds of jumping up to first or second are exactly. very, very small. Very small. So you really want to finish in that bottom six range. Yeah, bottom five, six range. If you're if you're doing a full on legit tank, your goal is at the
1: very least to be bottom five, and you'd love to be bottom three, something like that. But you're really gunning for bottom five and. I, I just think even with Bergeron retiring, and obviously he's a phenomenal player and a massive part of their success, are they really going to drop like 45 points next year? I don't know. No, That's don't a big, so.
0: big gap. No, exactly. And I know people are like, why are you talking about them tanking? Because they're their coach, yada, yada. And so the reason people are asking if they're tanking is because Charlie McAvoy out long-term next year, surgery. Brad Marchand, long term next year surgery. Matt Grislick, mm-hmm. long term next year surgery. I mean, I think there's one or two other Mike players. Riley, I Mike think. Riley, Mike yep. Riley also long term. I mean, you're talking about guys who are going to miss months of next season, and they're key players, key players on, this yeah. on this team. That's why some people wonder if the Boston Bruins are going to try to tank this season. And even with that, we're saying, at least I believe, they're not going to be tanking. Yeah, they're not. Gonna, I don't think
1: they're going to be truly bad enough to be in that bottom three, bottom five mix. Even with, even if Bergeron doesn't come back.
0: Yeah. Um, now, before we, um, get to some of the betting odds, uh, for the postseason here, I did, I did want to spend another minute or two on what we saw last night from, or yesterday afternoon, I should say from the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, and the New York Rangers. And as far as the goaltending is concerned, Shesterkin and Vasilevsky have been absolutely unbelievable. And when I look at, for instance, Shusterkin and how, even though they kind of lost the game last night, how he's getting in the heads of the Tampa Bay Lightning at times. I mean, that's a team that doesn't ever worry about, hey, how do we score? Just find a way to score. But you could really see that, especially for the first half of that game, how they're trying to get cute. It's almost like we talked to... Uh, Brian Inblom mm-hmm. about, about how they're like, hey, just go out there and play offense. Like, don't worry about structure. But also, just don't try to pick spots. Just go out there and try to score on this guy. Don't, don't overthink it too much. That's the first time I've seen Tampa players kind of doubt whether they can beat this guy. Yeah, and if you look at any of the,
1: you know, underlying numbers or the shot metrics or scoring chances or anything like that, Tampa absolutely dominated that game. That was by far their strongest performance of the series. But the reason why it was close, the reason why they had to claw back from a 2 nothing deficit and they just still only won three two was because Igor Shosturkin is fantastic and he's been fantastic in this series. He's won so far the goaltending duel between uh, himself and Andre Vasilevsky. The the thing that worries me is from a New York perspective is you. Like, we kind of saw this in the Toronto series, right? Vasilevsky didn't have the strongest start to it. But games six and seven, he was really good, and mm-hmm. eventually he's going to hit that higher level. And Shusterkin's incredible, but can he be? Can he continue to be this good for another three or four games? That that would be my biggest concern. Is that if Tampa kind of bridges the goaltending gap here and Vasilevsky gets closer to uh, the level that Shusterkin has been at
0: in this series, is New York going to have a way to counter that? Yeah, and that's going to be the big question because I look at the at uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning now too, and. Let's take a look at the betting odds, courtesy of BCLC. Bet on hockey like never before. Oh, Play now sports your local BC sports book. And I look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. Their odds of winning the Stanley Cup are 5.25 versus 1.45 for Colorado. Heavy, heavy favorites yep. win the Stanley Cup. New York, 4.95. So just a little bit better. 5.25 for the Lightning. Now, if you really want to get adventurous. get
1: us is Edmonton's here.
0: 56 to <laughs> 1. 56-1 to one to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That just tells you how, how big the odds are. That's amazing. Yeah, how long For the odds are. For a team in the conference finals at 56-1. Yeah, because they're down 3 nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I mean, Tampa Bay, to win the Stanley Cup, like, do you feel... I said I worry about them if they lose one game at home, and they won they last haven't. night, and yep. we'll see if they win the next game. But... This might be the best time for you to get it. I think this is juice. the time to get it. Yeah. Because
1: if they win tomorrow, oh, that number's going to change dramatically. All of a sudden they're going to be the heavy favorite to win that series. And because
0: Colorado's still going to be the heavy favorite, yep. but if the series is tied or Tampa takes the lead, they'll be pretty close. Like it'll still be Colorado as a favorite, but I do think we'll see Tampa get into that 2 to 1 range you know 2.5 yep. to 1 and maybe Colorado goes up to 1.5, 1.6 or whatever but if you believe in Tampa to win the Stanley Cup and you haven't put the put a wager down this might be your best last chance and
1: you know i think the the i saw today the earliest the Stanley Cup could start would be the 15th, June 15th. There's a chance it doesn't start till June 18th. So if you think okay Tampa wins this series, they've got a they've got a few days off. Maybe Brayden Point comes back. They are able to get him back in the lineup. Plus, we know that Nazem Kadri is not guaranteed by any—it's doubtful that he might return uh, for the Stanley Cup final, right? So if you yeah. factor those two things in, does that bridge the gap a little bit between Tampa and Colorado and, and make a bet on the Lightning pretty interesting?
0: Well, I saw Peter Baugh, who covers the Colorado Avalanche, and he tweeted out today that kadri uh, had surgery on his thumb. So, obviously, done for this series, and we'll see if he's yeah. back for the cup final I, or not. But I, I think
1: the, his report was there, nobody's ruling it
0: out, yes. but it's Unlikely. doubtful. It's yeah. doubtful. It doesn't look very good. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens there, but, man, Tampa Bay Lightning. I still like that, 5.25. I mean, uh, like I mentioned, I thought Edmonton would do a lot better against Colorado. They've really impressed me with how they've played defense, but I still I'd still like the juice. I, I love the value there mm-hmm. for Tampa still, at 5.25, so that's kind of... How I see it. And I look, man, it. You, if
1: uh, if you've been betting on the Lightning to win playoff series the last couple of years, <laughs> you haven't gone wrong yet. It's Ten been times very, in a row. It
0: has been very, very fruitful. It really has been. All right. Uh, th- we appreciate everybody chiming in on the show. We've had a lot of fun today. And we look forward to being back on the show again tomorrow. Myself, Satyar Shaw, and Jamie Dodd. We'll talk more about the coaching. A lot of candidates are available. And I see people texting in and wondering if the Bruins will go after Trotz and whatnot. And tomorrow we'll talk more about that, about the... Coaching Carousel, who lines up for what team? What makes sense? What doesn't make sense? And we'll also have the latest on your Vancouver Canucks as always. For Jamie Dodd, I'm Satyar Shah. Special thanks to our producer, Josh Elliott-Wolf, crushing it as always. And thanks for you for listening. This has been Canuck Central on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.